Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon, and I'm here with Suzanne Spradley. We are both attorneys with NFP's Benefits Compliance Team, and we're here on the podcast to help break down some of the benefits compliance issues that employers are facing, some of the hot topics that we're seeing uh, in the industry. Today, we're going to tackle an interesting issue, and that is mental health parity. Is that right, Suzanne? Yes, I thought it was appropriate given the recent attention on mental health issues. And um, I think many employers don't realize the significance of mental health disorders. It is uh, five of the 10 leading causes of disability are mental health disorders. And it's estimated that depression alone accounts for 220 million sick days annually. So taken as a group, Mental health issues result in an estimated $105 billion each year in lost productivity. So it's a real issue um, for employers. And it also affects um, absenteeism, productivity. Um, As we just mentioned, it could impact decision-making, loss of motivation, burnout, uh, decreased retention. So it's an important issue, not only from a coverage standpoint, but really from an employer standpoint. So today, what we are going to focus on are, is a recent guidance that was um, put out on mental health parity, as well as a recent lawsuit and a past lawsuit pertaining to the same. Yeah, it does seem timely. We've had some news of suicide and lately that lots of people are talking about. It seems like a buzzing uh, topic right now. I just spent some time with a friend this morning whose son was going through some mental health issues. He was away from work yesterday to be able to attend some of the counseling sessions so you can see how this is an immediate and uh, impact for uh, employers. But let's back up and give some basic information on mental health parity. Tell us about the law there that is in play. So the primary federal law is the Mental Health Parity Addiction and Addiction Equity Act. We'll just call it MAPEA. It's M-H-P-A-E-A is the, uh, are the letters that are associated with that act. So we'll call it MAPEA. And it requires group health plans to provide mental health and substance abuse benefits that are in parity, which means equal with um, medical and surgical benefits. So the requirements are really complex. We will try to unpack at least a portion of them today. Um, And specifically as it relates to non-qualified treatment limits, or excuse me, non-quantitative treatment limits. So generally the law divides the parity requirement into two portions. One portion has to do with quantitative limitations, which would say that mental health coverage must be on par with medical coverage as it pertains to dollar limits, um, visit limits, anything that has a numerical qualifier um, as compared to the non-quantitative treatment limits, which are things like medical management techniques. And we'll talk more about that. But in both instances, they must be on par with the medical benefits that are provided. They further uh, uh, look at the um, comparison of the two in the six classification of benefits. So they look at inpatient in-network, inpatient out-of-network, out-of-patient in-network, outpatient out-of-network, emergency emergency care and prescription drugs. And within each of those categories, you must have parity between the two groups. Right. So the quantitative part is fairly straightforward, right? Like you said, you're assigning some number to that, a dollar or a visit limit. 
But help us understand a little bit more about non-quantitative limits. What What is that referring to? You're right. It's really, it is more difficult aspect of, of looking at parity issues when you look at the uh, non-quantitative treatment limits. And we're going to call that NQTL. That's non-quantitative treatment limits. So to explain it further, um, I'm just going to give some examples of really what would be considered a treatment limit that is not numerically based. So it could be things that are, for example, whether a benefit is medically necessary or medically appropriate and looking at the standards or limitations that are applied to making that determination. It could be based on whether the treatment is experimental or investigative. They could look at the formulary design for the prescription drugs, um, even to standards for provider admission to participate in a network. Also, and for that, looking at reimbursement rates, looking at um, plan methods for determining UCR, usual customary and reasonable charges, looking at whether they refuse to pay for higher cost therapies until it can be shown that a lower cost therapy is not effective, step therapy, step therapy protocols. So all of those things are treatment limitations of sorts that are non-quantitative. There's not a numerical value applied to it. Nonetheless, it does limit treatment in some fashion. Right. Those are some great examples, I think, that help illustrate uh, what you're talking about there. So what guidance came out recently on this? On April 23rd, the DOL, the HHS, and the Treasury, and they will just talk about these as agencies collectively, they released a proposed FAQ that relates to the non-quantitative treatment limits, the NQTLs. Um, And so specifically, if you want to look at Part 39, it's of the FAQs about mental health and substance abuse disorder parity implementation in the 21st Century Cures Act. That's a lot there. Um, But what it specifically did is it expanded on the prior guidance and it explained how the parity rules would apply in certain hypothetical situations, which is helpful. Okay, so let's start with just kind of a basic question when it comes to this. Um, is it okay to exclude mental health services from a group health plan? And this is where you're going to see some of the lawsuits that we talk about, which is very interesting. So MAPIA does not require that a group health plan provide coverage for any particular mental health or substance abuse condition. However, once a plan does cover um, a certain condition, then any quantitative limitation or NQTL that's applied to it must be on parity with med surge benefits. So for example... A group health plan could exclude all services and treatments related to bipolar disorder, and it wouldn't violate the MAPIA. However, if some services or treatments for bipolar disorder are covered, then you have to look at any limitations, whether it be quantitative or NQTL, um, that are applied to that coverage must be on parity with the med surge benefits that are also provided. So one note, and we're, we're, we're talking and we're fo- focusing today on federal law, But don't forget to check your state law. So even though federal law may not require coverage of a certain condition, make sure you look at your state laws because there are coverage mandates under state laws for certain mental health issues. Right. So I see maybe a parallel uh, rule that employers might be more familiar with is this idea of coverage of dependents up to age 26. There's actually no specific federal law that requires a plan to cover dependents at all. Right. But once you do start covering them, you have to cover them up to age 26 and you can't take into consideration whether they're a student, whether they're married, what their financial situation is. So Mm -hmm. once you sort of wade into the water, now you're subject to the same rules that um, are applicable to that benefit overall. Right, right. Not necessarily a strict mandate to cover certain 
items, unless you get into some of these state laws, states sometimes say, hey, you have to have coverage for autism spectrum disorder or some other mental uh, issue there. Right. That's a great analogy. So the FAQs speak to some experimental or investigational exclusions. Can, can you walk us through those? So generally, an exclusion that is based on experimental or investigational is considered, in, instead of an exclusion, it's really considered a, that it's a treatment limitation. So the FAQ states that the method by which the treatment is determined to be experimental or investigational cannot be applied more stringently to mental health or substance abuse benefits than it would be to med-surge. So for example, suppose a plan provides that any treatment will be denied as experimental when no professionally recognized treatment guidelines define clinical appropriate standards of care um, and there's fewer than two randomized controlled trials that are supporting the particular treatment at issue. So so for one, let's just say right off the bat, if you're, there's a particular treatment, there's no professionally recognized treatment guidelines, but there are a couple of randomized controlled trials out there that are supporting this type of treatment. However, despite the plan's language, let's say the plan is administered so that for med surge condition, they only require one supporting randomized trial, but for mental health issues, they require two supporting randomized trial, randomized trial. That would be a difference in how the plan is applied to treatment limitations. And because the plan's experimental investigational exclusion is applied more stringently to mental health, it would be considered a MAPIA violation. Interesting example. But that does get back to the core of what we're talking about here, making sure that mental health uh, treatment is being treated the same by the plan as uh, medical and surgical benefits. Uh, we have seen questions on applied behavioral analysis or ABA, and this FAQ specifically mentions this type of therapy. Can you talk about that a little bit? Right. So in the FAQ, it was especially noteworthy that the description of the non-qualified treatment limitation in the FAQ was uh, involved applied behavioral analysis, ABA, for treatment of autism spectrum disorder. This, this uh, question comes up quite frequently because it's been unclear on whether ABA can be excluded. So many insurers and plans have excluded it on the basis that the treatment is experimental or investigational, and there have been numerous lawsuits that have alleged violation of mental health parity laws um, because of this exclusion. So plans that do not cover ABA, but they do apply some age or other treatment limitation on ABA might also face litigation if those limits are not in parity with the plans that are applied to med-surge or the limits that are applied to med-surge. But it is it does seem to be clear that from this, they are, are showing that the ABA, um, the treatment for this type of treatment for autism spectrum disorder is not to be considered experimental or investigational. So that's something that someone that many um, experts are taking away from this, that it probably rises above, that it's considered conventional enough, that if you did apply, if you did exclude it on that basis, that you would be subject likely to lawsuits of denial of coverage. Um, plans that cover treatment for autism spectrum disorder but deny it um, a specific treatment, such as the ABA, under this experimental exclusion should be mindful that there's also could be an issue under the ADA. So you could also see some ADA lawsuits as well. Um, there are other non-qualified treatment limitations that were discussed in the FAQ, 
and they identified, for example, prescription, prescription drug dosage limitations. They identified step therapy programs, healthcare facility restrictions, provider network administration. All of those things need to be looked at and reviewed to make sure that you're applying the standards consistently with the med surge benefits. So the message is clear that if any of these limits are applied to mental health or substance abuse benefits, then you need to look at the method by which a plan determines whether or not to apply the limitation and make sure that the, that method is being applied consistently to both mental health and to medical benefits. So it's very important that plans and employer sponsors as fiduciaries of their plans monitor compliance with these MAPIA requirements, especially as it pertains to non-qualified treatment limitations. Um, and they are very complicated, so it's important to, to use some outside advice. Outside counsel uh, certainly uh, would be advised in these situations when designing these plans. Right. But those are some great practical takeaways for employers here on sort of getting an overview, trying to understand what this mental health issue, mental health parity issues are and how they can come into compliance. Uh, let's switch to the recent lawsuit on mental health parity. The, the name of the lawsuit is Danny P. versus Catholic Health Initiative. And the dependent in this case was covered by, obviously, the employer's self-funded group health plan. And the plan itself, the language from the plan, said that it would provide some coverage for treatment of men mental health conditions at residential treatment facilities, but it didn't cover the cost for room and board. And on the other hand, the plan language did cover the cost for room and board at a skilled nursing facility. So the dependent was admitted to the residential treatment program. She received treatment there for nearly a year, and she sought to have the plan cover not only the treatment, but the cost related to room and board, and the plan denied the room and board coverage. She exhausted her claims procedures, her administrative claims procedures, and turned around and then sued the plan for a number of different things, such as denial of benefits, which you'll always see, um, and then also a violation of MAPIA, meaning that um, the benefits that she was offered were not on par with the medical benefits. So she argued that the plan's coverage for residential mental health treatment um, must be on par, as we said, under MAPIA with coverage that is provided for med surge treatment. And the analogous level of care they utilized was a skilled nursing facility. The employer, on the other hand, argued that a residential treatment facility was not equivalent to a skilled nursing facility and that the exclusion was not prohibited by the regulations that were in place at the time. And so they felt that, in effect, um, the treatment could be denied. The district court actually found in favor of the employer, and they looked at the interim final regulations that were in place at the time, and we won't go through those in any detail, but they found in favor of the employer, and the claim was then um, appealed to the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit reversed, and they held that MAPIA did actually prevent the plan from providing coverage for inpatient room and board costs at a skilled nursing facility while denying it for a residential treatment facility that was used for mental health. So it, it, that shows you in a real case where they looked at two types of treatment exclusions or treatment coverage and they said that it was not, in fact, congruent. And so, therefore, um, they, the plan was required to cover that, uh, that treatment, the room and board cost, at the mental health treatment facility. Right. So a great practical world example and a good takeaway for employers of the kind of things that you want to be looking at when you're sort of eyeballing whether your plan might have a mental health 
uh, or a MAPIA issue with it, those types of comparisons uh, between mental health coverage and medical or surgical coverage. So obviously, with this law, with the new FAQs, with this becoming a more prominent issue in our country, um, we're seeing more and more cases of uh, involving mental health parity claims. Some successful, others are not, depending on the facts. Uh, can you give us an example of a lawsuit that was unsuccessful for the plaintiff? Yes, and this again gets down to when we're talking about non-quantitative uh, treatment limits. Um, so again, these when you're looking at different types of coverage, is often non-quantitative. So we're relying on um, treatment options or treatment limits that are not do not have a numerical value, but look at other items. So in this case, AH versus Microsoft Corporation, their welfare plan. This was an action against Microsoft that stemmed from their denial of coverage for a non-conventional treatment. And in this case, the plaintiff was um, a beneficiary of the plan because of his mother's employment with Microsoft. He suffered from mental illness and substance abuse issues. And when he was 16, he went into a treatment program called Wingate Wilderness Therapy in Utah. Um, and it was a treatment that was he tried after he tried other conventional methods had, had failed. And uh, so he had tried this approach and his claim was denied and the internal appeals was exhausted. And so obviously the lawsuit followed. So the plaintiff, um, the court actually found in favor of the plan and said that the plaintiff was not able to demonstrate that the exclusion of a wilderness treatment uh, facility was actually a limitation on mental health. So this is an, an interesting play between whether an exclusion is an exclusion, which is permitted under MAPIA, as we talked about earlier, or whether it's actually a limitation of a treatment. Um, so that's what I found really interesting about this case. So remember, um, plans may exclude benefits, but they can't limit treatments in a way that's not congruent with how the limitations are applied to the medical side. Um, in, in this case, specifically, the plan excluded educational or recreational therapy or programs, including wilderness programs. It was not specific that this applied only to the mental health side, but it was in a portion of the plan. And this is another reason why you want to use outside counsel when drafting your plans, because mm -hmm. just where this language was located within the plan is what was determinative on this outcome. Because it was actually in a location that could be applied to both medical and mental health, um, that exclusion was considered um, an exclusion rather than a limitation on the mental health treatment. So again, just a plug for using outside counsel when you're drafting your plan, something as minor as where it's located within the plan could make an impact on uh, coverage issues. Mm -hmm. So I will note that in this case, there was, of course, different claims alleged, and it, the case could continue under just the coverage side because the the judge in this case reviewed it from a de novo standard, which is looking at it with fresh eyes so they don't have to rely on the decision of the TPA. Um, and they determined that the wellness program, if it was state licensed and, it, it, and offered medically necessary mental health services, it could be covered by the plan's language. Or um, if the wilderness program utilized state licensed providers, then it could also be considered covered under a different portion of the plan's coverage. So you may, if you follow this plan, if you follow this case at all, and you see that there was some actual, some coverage that, that resulted, um, it wasn't having to do with MAPIA, but more having to do with the judge's interpretation of the plan language itself. Right. So it gives you a couple of examples of real life where they, a judge or a court looked at whether there was the mental health limitations 
or coverage was on par with that provided under the medical side. One finding for the plaintiff, one finding for the plan. Right. Well, thank you for walking us through MAPIA at a high level, helping us understand some of these terms like uh, on par with or parity with uh, NQTLs and giving us some practical examples, um, some good takeaways for employers, I think, to review uh, plans at a high level. Make sure you're getting outside counsel involved in drafting plan language and hopefully um, being able to provide the benefits that you want to provide, uh, but doing so in a way that you are compliant with the law here. So thanks for uh, outlining all that for us, Suzanne, and uh, I think that's a wrap for us today. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.